everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Master Your Energy podcast. I'm a grateful host, Megan Wren. So happy to be here as always. Today we have a special guest, Daniel Hodgman, and Daniel was on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we talked about the importance of self-knowledge, and Daniel is a clinical psychiatrist that specializes in addiction. And so Daniel and I really in our last podcast went into that whole self-knowledge, self-acceptance, kind of a little bit esoteric, but because he specializes in addiction, I wanted to bring him back on the podcast. And then we decided to release this around the holidays so that if you struggle with addiction or if you have somebody in your life who struggles with addiction, how to approach the family gatherings, because family gatherings can be very uh, triggering for people with addiction. So we wanted to give you the tools and resources to navigate that and have a really happy holiday. So without further ado, here is Dr. Daniel Hodgman. All right, Daniel, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I'm excited for another fun talk conversation interview. Um, yeah. So last time we talked a lot about really the topic was like the power of self-knowledge. And then we wanted to come back on here to talk a little bit more about addiction and emotional triggers and release this episode around the holidays because the holidays can be such a trigger for a lot of emotional things, especially when it's like either we're by ourselves or getting back together with families. Um, Mm -hmm. So can we just start with the broad, like why is addiction more triggered during the holidays and things like that? Yeah, uh, in, in a word, family. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and then what does that mean? You know, well, family. Um, we're sort of facing like who 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 we were, who we were groomed to be, who we were expected to be, and all the patterns that exist. So you know, we're we're coming back usually to face that, and and so what we're showing up as is the more evolved, newer, refreshed, recent version of who we are which may be different you know the hot topics can be like politics religion stuff like that Um, but there's a lot of just softer things or very personal things you know that that we're not over something or mom you're too controlling or these expectations hey I've, i've always rejected those i don't want that and when i come home yeah i don't want to be judged for for this for that for who i'm with for what i've done you know and so we're very braced, so we're you, you know we know with holidays when when there's all these expectations you know to usually reconvene with family even if they're in the same city, mm-hmm. just that there's this expectation you know we're going to all be in the same room catching up and mm-hmm. um, with our spouse or with you know whoever we're attached to. So yeah, in a word, it's it's a you know a lot goes on trying to reconvene family and it brings up a lot of old wounds. Uh, two things that you said. One, I just watched this little reel on social media and it was about this woman. She was like, and this comes back to the self-knowledge part, but this woman was like, I am constantly having to reintroduce myself. She's like, I reintroduce myself to me. I have to reintroduce myself to my mom, to my dad, because you know she's a growing individual. And so I think when we're faced with the a family member, um, one, that self-acceptance and self-knowledge to then not take their reaction to whatever's happening 
personally almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what we'd hope ideally is that, you know, the family cheers us on and says, you know, awesome. Like you're, you're now this and doing this and, you know, great, but you know, that that's often not the case and far from it. Um, And yeah, it's that reintroduction and, and to the family's credit and usually parents or grandparents, you know, to, to their credit, you know, just to, to put some character to that side that's not all just like bad and judgmental and oppressive it it, it is hard you know if, if you've been a parent it's hard to recalibrate and adjust you know you you saw your little kid struggle in a certain way or you think oh you used to just love you know the the piano and and so it's just so hard to see that they gave up the piano or they you know or with someone you didn't you, you know, you, you think you really know what they like and don't like, and it's so hard to recalibrate that. Um, and, and as a parent, you know, they're, they're usually coming from a good place, you know, yeah. that, Hey, I, I think I know better than you because there was a long period in there where the parent does know better. Right. So, uh, it's like, you know, that, that used to be true, but at some point, no, no. Um, and that's what can be sore too, as well for the person, you know, say with an addiction going back home. Um, and that's just the stereotype scenario. It might be, you know, just spending time with their own family or friends or, or something else, or just the generalized vague expectations of holidays, just that you're supposed to be happy. It's a you know nice time. And if you had a history of just like bad holidays, bad times, or didn't have that at all, or adopted stuff like that it, it's triggering because there's just like i all these pictures commercials like i didn't have that and they you know that that's just a period to be uh both angry and and sad that you know that you do you haven't had that or don't have it um yeah and and so yeah it's important to understand that you know that other side they they did used to know best and they did probably used to know you better than you know yourself, but but that that evolves. Um, and and before I forget, the other big thing too in addiction coming back is that there often is an honest fear that that that's valid, which is like, uh oh, they're gonna see I'm drinking too much. Mm. Um, I mean, if it's really bad, uh, imagine you know you're drinking so heavily that you you actually need to drink a lot, or else you're gonna be in withdrawal. Uh, so you know, alcohol, opiates, right? Like painkillers. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have to actually have a good supply when you're with everyone and it's, it can get really hard to hide. Yeah. So you're either disappearing over and over or they're seeing on full display, you know, that you drink too much or you look a little loopy in order to not be, you know, so immediately apparent physical withdrawal right in front of everyone, you know, you're going to keep up the dose of whatever you've been doing. And, and there's just, you know, who, who wants to have families start asking questions and start judging and lecturing, you know, about what you're doing. What else do we see when it comes to having that addiction around the holidays? Yeah. So, so it's either a lot of the hiding. And so then they wonder, well, what are you doing? Or you don't want to be with us or why are you escaping? You know, so that they, they make up their own ideas about that. You don't want to be with them or you've got other better things to do. If you're going away to drink or use or something, um, or you're there and and it's embarrassing or a little too hard to tell and, and you're 
trying to cover it up, but it just looks awkward and strange. And so then again, they either find out or there's just too much awkwardness that, that they're confused about what's going on. You know, why do you look so anxious? Why do you look so different? You know, something's going on and now they're pressing you and you're almost stuck in a lie. Cause if the first time you said, Oh, nothing, I'm fine. You know, or Hey, I, I, no, I'm just tired or something. And now you're sort of doubling down on, on this portrayal that like, no, it's just another day. Things are okay, but you know, it's really not. So, um, so that's, that's why a lot of people with an addiction just, just prefer just not, not to convene over the holidays because it's just so much easier not to navigate that. Right. But then here's the interesting thing, thing that happens is, you know, it, if you avoid that gathering, um, it's, it's, it's not without a cost, right? The, the, the cost to avoiding that is there's another year of what, you know, could have been a nice time to gather and you missed it, right? That, that's, that's precious time, you know, and, and if you've got parents getting older, grandparents you may not see again, or a cousin you barely ever get to see, an uncle you used to like that you barely ever get to see, you know, there's, there's some special time lost. So there's a, there's a cost, you know, to just passing on that. And then the shame sets in. So that's a shameful thing, right? To, uh, hey, I can't get a hold of myself. And it's having this consequence that I'm having to lie and escape the tension so I don't show up. But then that shame sets in because that's an awful feeling that I am I'm that unmanaged. I, I'm that out of line that, that I can't even just be present with my family for a couple of days. So it almost sounds like on multiple levels that kind of gathering could be a good mirror for the person who's struggling with addiction on both ends but also how how often do i there's two things i'm asking here one of like how often do family members get involved with somebody who has an addiction and have you ever seen families who kind of collectively want to maybe the addiction is from some kind of root cause that would happen within the family do families ever kind of come together to like work through that together to heal that? Yeah, they, the attempt is usually there and it usually doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, like you say, because it's a catch 22, you know, often the problems that have led to addiction did originate in the family. And if not originate in the family, that, that, that there was maybe some lack of correction or something like that. So an innocent example uh, might be that um, a, a, as a child, that person was enabled even. So for, let's forget even like a trauma or something like that, or being like abused by the parent. But uh, so that would be more sort of easily recognizable, like the, the parent or both were abusive or just really oppressive and pressuring. And so, you know, that over time led to this person to have an addiction. A little easier to see then that, you know, the very cause of the parent's well, good luck with the cause also taking you out of it. Um, but in a more innocent example, say you were an enabled child, right? That like you, every time you got emotionally dysregulated or upset or sad, you know, they just taught you just, just dismiss it. We don't deal with that. It's not okay to talk about that. And, and enabled you, you know, so like took care of your problems, let you kind of weasel your way out of 
problems you got into, stuff like that. So those would be a couple of features that are quite innocent, but um, those are common pathways to addiction. Um, and yeah, same thing though. Imagine then those same parents trying to take you out of addiction. It's it's just generally, it's a catch-22, right? It, th those are not going to be your saviors. The, those were the people that directly, indirectly, consciously not, doesn't matter. But if they were part of what drove you to that path, not to blame them, but just if they were part of that pathway, then yeah, what, why would we expect that they know how to take you out? Um, but yes, the attempt is often by, you know, the closest family members or, or a spouse. Um, so, you know, siblings could be children if it's, an, you know, someone who's older. And so, yeah, they're the ones doing either just the regular conversation about it, trying to steer them towards treatment or suggest what to do or do a formal intervention, you know, sit you down and there's a circle of people and they're all prepared and, and, you know, they're not letting you leave the room without agreeing to treatment. Um, yeah. So, so the, the idea of family intervening is, is I would say more often than not, you know, that, that step that gets taken eventually. Do you think interventions work? Oh, I know they don't. Yeah. yeah. They, they work under 10% of the time. Well, then it's like putting more shame on the person by getting all these people together to tell you that like, hey, you're messing up. Yeah, yeah. If you're a family member, you have to say, you know, for for what? You know, I'm going to intervene. Okay, G good intention. And yeah, maybe you're speaking the truth, right? Say, like, hey, you know, look, I, I see I've talked to your girlfriend. I've talked, you know, I, look, you're, you're drinking too much. Um, so fine, you're speaking the truth. You're coming from a place of concern, but... Uh, yeah, odds are that person doesn't know how to deliver it properly and that that person was kind of caught off guard. The, the person with addiction is very defended um, and, and it's just generally not going to go well. Usually not in the moment, but, but even if you go to treatment on the pretense that, you know, I'm doing it because family requested it um, and the timing isn't right and the motivation isn't right, um, then, and there's not the readiness, um, yeah, it just... The, the, the odds that you do a good intervention and they go and it's effective treatment are actually quite slim. Is it common for families to do interventions? Yeah, yeah. We don't have data on like the, like, you know, the number of times total, like what, what, what percent of families do an intervention if there is heavy addiction. Um, but we do have data on like the, when when an intervention is done yeah it's somewhere around like it, 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 yeah this is below 10 percent it's hard to nail down exactly but but i do trust that it's it's that low um and there are methods that get into higher likelihoods like like 60 something percent um so so there are methods that do work but but generally not the traditional intervention you might see like on tv so there are types of interventions when a family gets involved that work better than like sit you down and tell you why you're making me upset. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What might some of those be? Uh, well, the, the term that like the, what, what is called is the craft method. Um, and, um, and I, I can give your listeners a, uh, a link. I've, I've got a program actually that I've created for, uh, families and, and loved ones, you know, for how to approach someone with an addiction. 
mm. and it walks through some of this method among many other things we can also get to. Um, but the, the core of what you want to do really um, is it mostly comes down to the tone, the, the, the tone and the approach. Um, as with a lot of feedback, right? Just, just let's kind of hang on to common sense here and just you know, imagine if you're screwing anything up. Um, the tone on the other end has got to be really coming from a place of like, I, I really want to learn about what you're going through. I want to learn about this struggle and then just help pull out of that person, you know, their own concern and their own motivations. The more, say it's me, the more I tell someone with an addiction, what you're doing is bad, it's wrong, it's gonna hurt you, and so here's what you need to do. That just, that just doesn't work. I mean, we have the data for that. We, we also look at the data, not just for interventions, but just different approaches to do as therapists or psychiatrists, you know, what do you do whenever you're trying to give someone a lifestyle recommendation? It's just recommendations do almost nothing and they often backfire because you're going to quit seeing that coach or doctor or quit seeing that friend if every time they're just lecturing you as if it's just so easy, you know, you just do this thing. That's tough. <laughs> like that's got to be tough for everybody. Yeah, and, and what I usually recommend to people is then, you know, so you, you really want to have that conversation when the time is right. You know, if you hit someone at the wrong time or they've just had a busy day or something and or you've just had a little bit of an argument um, or you just caught them, you know, with all the, you know, bunch of drinks or something, that, that is not the time to, to come in with this tone of, you know, I want to understand what you're going through, what where's this pain coming from um that's they're not going to be in the mood for that right then right you know, you want to you want to have that kind of talk when you're both feeling you know pretty warm and and connected well it also doesn't necessarily sound like at a holiday gathering is when the appropriate time to have that conversation is because then that could backfire completely yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be after, and, and if it is during, yeah, generally not like a group, right? right? Facing you, it, it's almost threatening, you know. And, and there's like now this mob, like, and they need an answer from you, or they need some response. Uh, that just imagine, you know, that's a lot of pressure, and um, probably whatever the words were used were were a little either going too far or just too much for them to hear. So words like you know you're an addict or you're an alcoholic and maybe they haven't quite identified with those words before you know and so they can actually reject those words because to them well i just drink a lot or yeah i go out and party or i manage myself okay so they're not thinking of themselves that way and you're trying to tell them no but but you are and here's what you need to do so you've already lost them because right. they're not even in agreement with the words you're using, right? Yeah, addict, alcoholic, whatever. Um, so you, you need to have an agreement to begin with just on what what you're even accusing them of right. before you can get anywhere. Well, and it also sounds like 
if you are a family member who's wanting to approach somebody who you think may have a problem to approach it with more of like a compassion and understanding and like trying to understand where they're at and why they're behaving the way that they are rather than going and going, you're doing this and it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And also the reason interventions is trying to do like all these things at once, like in one yeah. sitting. Yeah. Um, you kind of want to lay some groundwork. Right? So right. you want to be with that person, really understand their suffering, right? Because that's just for people listening to know. And my model all the time is, you know, if you're going to understand why someone keeps going to something that's harmful, um, the assumption is always that they, they would like to do it less, right? Like they, they don't like to drink so much or inject themselves with heroin or whatever it is they're doing. So pe people don't want to do that. They, they would very much like to stop and they hate that they do it. And so the approach is to say, okay, well, what's this an expression of? There is some suffering that's driving that behavior. It's expressing some kind of underlying pain. And that that's usually a nice tone to use with people. They're more interested in that. Uh, I'm curious, do you know at what point when, if there's like a time frame around this of at what point substance abuse becomes more physical and less psychological? Uh, physical can be pretty fast. It depends on the substance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it can be as soon, you know, for a lot of them, just, just a handful of days, your body's already reaching, you know, some level of tolerance, right? And, and so um, a lot of people have the experience with alcohol, you know, you, you may, if you're, you know, if you're drinking heavily, you can get that tolerance up really fast, which technically speaking then means, you know, if you have tolerance that then if you stop it, you know, you're going to have withdrawal and tolerance also means you're going to need more and more for the same effect. So that's the physical part. You know, it's, it's usually quite rapid. Um, depends on the thing, you know, that, that could be depending on how heavy you are and everything, um, heavy you are into it. I mean, um, not really so much heavy like size, although we all have different enzymes as well. So a lot of times it's uh, the liver. Uh, there's a lot of different enzymes in the liver, but um, there, there's different kinds that clear things at different rates. And so, yeah, different people will have different levels of tolerance. But um, th th that's a moot point, right? That, that's, that's a much smaller point than knowing that for anybody, if you use something, you know, enough, You'll, you'll become physically reliant on it, uh, but that is never the actual problem. Right. Like if you, if you watch and, and look at the pattern of, let's just take an alcoholic, but, but we could say this for other drugs, um, you absolutely get you know, physically dependent on alcohol and then it's hard to stop and everything. But if you look at the pattern of anybody who drinks a lot, um, they're in and out of that pattern. You know, it's not usually that they've had, you know, a heavy amount of drinking every day, you know, for eight years, 20 years, it's, there's periods where they shape and shaping up and they, you know, they aren't drinking at all, or they're only having a few drinks. Um, but then they go back to it, which is, and, and I could lay out many studies that, that are very, very clear in, um, and, and confirm the idea that the, the physiologic, the physical, the chemical dependence is not what sustains and drives addiction. It, it's never, it's never. 
it is always the psychological reliance and and they feed into each other right if we're psychologically looking for some escape and relief then we do create the physiologic dependence and when you are physiologically you know in withdrawal and you need to stay on it well then it does become scary and psychologically right we get reliant on it because we're so used to turning to it when we have a bad day or when we're frustrated and so um so so they have everything to do with each other still it's not as if they're entirely separable but uh but it's just really important that people never just sort of leave it as this physical thing it's never it's never physical only so then then we're looking at needing to find the root emotional cause identify the triggers and then create different patterns or coping mechanisms to deal with the emotional trigger that we had that was originally triggering us to abuse substances yeah yeah so i'll I'll walk you through the model that i use and 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 then people can understand where they might have already been doing something or where they could do something because it it sort of gives you a menu of options so uh, the model i use with addiction is at the beginning you have some kind of underlying pain that could be a diagnosed illness because it could be depression anxiety ptsd Um, it it may also be subtle things um Subtle things can be a midlife crisis. It could be, I'm not very happy with my job or career choice, or I don't seem to feel like I'm very good at anything and I should be already by this age. Like those are subtle. Um, the, the, one of the most subtle of all is just being bored, which is still Interesting. an underlying bad feeling, right? That I'm just, I'm either empty, I'm bored. I'm just, I don't even, there's nothing to what I'm doing each day. Um, so, so that can really range, right, from pretty mild and not like a diagnosable illness to yeah, major depression, PTSD, heavy trauma. Um, so any of those I'm calling emotional pain, suffering, distress. So don't get hung up on like, well, but I don't have that. No, if, if, if there's just some angst, some unease, that's what I'm referring to, okay? So there's always that, always, always an addiction. If, if there isn't that, it's just recreational use, right? So everyone can go binge or, you know, go trip. And and that's not what we're talking about. Those people are not addicts. They don't need treatment. They, they can still get into trouble. They could still get a DUI, but that's different than saying they're addicted and they're really struggling with something and, and they have consequences going on in their life. So we're talking about anybody who you'd remotely consider having an addiction, always pain, okay? Then out of the pain, is a craving so if i'm if i'm not comfortable if i'm uneasy if i'm angry if i'm sad if i'm scared my mind is of course then going to come up with the the quickest easiest way out i don't want to feel like that right that's all a craving is it's just i don't want to feel like that and so we grab and reach for something to escape that feeling and again it, it could be heroin Right, but it also might just be a Snickers bar. Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't like to make these huge distinctions, right, between the kind of addict you are. It's just the idea of escaping how distressed we are with something outside of ourselves. Okay, so I'm uneasy. 
I have a craving, which is just an idea. The craving is just a fancy word. I just have an idea for how to get out of this state. Okay. And so that's still just internal. The next phase of this, which I, I call it a current because it, it does feel for people like they're being swept down mm -hmm. this current. Mm -hmm. So there's pain. I have an idea how to get out. That's the next step. The next one is when we actually partake in it because the craving alone doesn't complete the circuit, right? We, we need to still partake in the thing. So it's when I actually eat the Snickers or I inject that's. Can I, can I stop you just really quick? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the craving, the idea would be for something that's going to alter your state of mind because you're not comfortable in the state of mind that you are. I think that like that, is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, and it's, and it's always going to be something outside of you. Yeah, okay. So it's a substance or a thing. It can also be a behavior. So okay. that um, sex comes to mind. Yeah. Sex would be, you know, sex, porn, and even milder things, right? Shopping, hmm. stuff like that. Right. So I'm just going to do something as this great diversion because that person is not internally regulating or tolerating or sitting with the pain. Okay. And they're not working through it. They're not resolving it. Instead, you're looking outside with a behavior or a substance, a thing to escape it, right? So that's the idea. And that's what makes addiction addiction versus I'm just depressed, right? If you're depressed, you might sit with that state. There are many depressed people. They're not looking to use anything to escape that, right? They're just, but they, but they are depressed. So it's not that everybody who has some emotional pain is addicted right right they may have some fantasy of oh man it'd be nice to escape it with something um, but they don't do then the next step which is actually to take part in that to, to actually inject or eat the snickers or shop or use porn or sex or shop, you know it's any any of those behaviors when you partake in the behavior this is a whole current only that part is what most people are looking at than the the addiction right i'm actually right. doing this thing right. that's harmful okay i'm seeing like a flow chart here yeah so <laughs> so pain craving yep or partake in the craving which is uh -huh. the addiction phase and then the last one is actually a pleasurable state but it's a false pleasure so that that part of the current i call a false pleasure and again that that current always takes you towards the end there where there is a false pleasure because if, if, if what you're doing doesn't bring you some empty pleasure, um, I apologize. Can you it's hear okay. those dogs? <laughs> yeah. Um, if what you're doing doesn't bring you pleasure, well then why are you doing it? So it, it is always getting reinforced, right? When we escape the pain, we're wanting to go all the way to pleasure. We don't escape pain with, with some substance unless it's going to bring us pleasure. If we, if we try a substance and it doesn't bring us that, that's the only time you're going to try it, right? But there is the lure because there's the promise of pleasure at the end. But, you know, I very much specify it's a false pleasure because um, the way I define a false pleasure would essentially be that it's a pleasure that, that is harmful for you. Okay. Um, but it's, it's empty. Right. So the Snickers, empty calories, bad for you, you know, not good. Heroin, of course, bad for you. Um, 
you know, whatever those behaviors are, spending too much. So they're all they're all bad for you. They're not they're not actually resolving the pain. Well, it all right sounds there. temporary, like it's a temporary band-aid instead yeah, of like temporary. pleasure to me kind of sounds like a state of being. Like I have pleasure sitting in here working. I have pleasure making my food. I don't know. I don't how would you define pleasure? I guess like a good Yeah. Yeah, well, I delineate, right? Because it, yeah. it's fine if we want to call getting high a pleasure. Right. But yeah, right. it's it's a I call it a false pleasure because of what you just said, right? They're false pleasures. Are, they're bad for you. They're temporary. They're empty, and they ultimately, the most important thing is they do not resolve the underlying problem, the underlying pain, the underlying anxiety. Right? You're you're right back to it, and only worse, right? Because you complete the circuit, you go from pain craving, you carry it out with addiction, you're going to the pleasurable state when you do do the thing. And then you're all the way back around to pain because now you've only added to your problems, of course. Right. Now you've only gained more weight or you've only lied another time or you're even you know, more dependent on alcohol or you had your accident or you started yelling at people. Or... And so there's problems and, and now you've got more pain to deal with because you've got You've got all that. It's it's the shame of it. It's the lies. You got to manage it. You got to have a supply of whatever you're stuck on. You get so there's more pain now, and that's the cycle. It's a current, but it it's also sort of an electrical current, and that you know it's completed, right? And and now you just keep going round and round because the more pain you have, you just double down on what you've trained yourself to do when you have emotional dysregulation. Um, I'm, I'm just, what's popping into my brain is that when you see, you know, friends or family members who want to like fix a person, an addict, and like they, they kind of end up uh, basically abusing themselves because like they can't, like you can't necessarily, like somebody can't come in and just like break that cycle, right? Yeah, well, and, and well, there's a lot of reasons why, but, um, to, to use this model, most people are coming in and going right for that addiction, part of the current. Mm -hmm. And they're just saying, and it's way too rudimentary, they're just saying, alcohol, drugs, bad, stop, do this other healthy thing instead. Right. Go to the gym or just don't use the thing or go enjoy the nice day. You know, and it's way too rudimentary, right? Because there's there's that whole swell, there's that that current is flowing you can't just like put put one hand in and stop the current i mean it's it's already been building and coming and swelling right so you're not you're not just gonna it's not that easy right so that's the problem is people usually have a very narrow idea of how to intervene and what to say and what to suggest and and they're just when if you understand that model or you know resonates at all now you see there's lots of areas to jump right. in. Right. Yeah. Um, so my next question goes to, so this is kind of like a, there's a two part question here. Let's start with the one. <laughs> um, why does a, let's talk about like the difference between a 12 step program and your program and why a 12 step program doesn't necessarily work well. Yeah, so uh, 12 step programs, um, Contrary to, to what a lot of people will say, I mean, the, the, they've been well studied and not just, I'm not talking about just one study of a hundred people or something, you know, like we've got lots of studies to pool together to see. And 
on average, the 12 step approach works 8% of the time. So Eight, that is so low. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, um, so just to share, and if anyone's listening, if, this isn't like my own opinion or I, you know, I, I have nothing against 12 step. It's just, I am conveying what, what the data says. Yeah. Does that mean that you don't, you can't get better that way, or you don't know someone whose life changed with it? No, I mean, there's medications we use in medicine that, that help 1% or less of the time, and we still use it if it's not harmful, because if you can save one in 100 people, that's pretty good. So it's, it's, there's nothing to be shameful about, you know, even if it's 8%. Now, there are better and easier ways but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like so terrible, but yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's a very low rate of, of success. Um, yeah. And, and boy, where do I begin? I mean, there's, so 12 step has several things, right? I mean, one is it's a very welcoming group as far as like, you can go almost anywhere. I mean, any city in, in the U S there's, there's going to be meetings. And a big city will have so many choices. There's there's all kinds of neighborhoods and different kinds of people getting together. And so even for subpopulations, whether that's like mothers or executives or um, certain um, just subpopulations, it, it, there's um, there's kind of a group for everybody. So I, I love that you can the kind of just show part up. Of it. Yeah, there's strong community. Right. Yeah. You can show up. You're with people that will understand and, you know, not like judge you because you're yeah. drinking too much or whatever. Uh, so they have a lot of things right. Um, they do address some spirituality. What turns a lot of people off from the start is that um, there is this expectation that you're resigning to a higher power, you know, that you're saying like you, you do not have the power to get better. It is ascribing that, you know, to a higher power. Um, depending on the group you go to, depending on your sponsor, um, they'll interpret the higher power just to mean just sort of vague anything, whatever you want it to be. Um, other places are a little stricter with it, you know, and it's, a, it's God in the religious yeah. sense of the word. Um, but in any case, that's, uh, I mean, there's a couple of things that go wrong, uh, before you even get to, to all the steps. It's, um, it's that you, you are trained to now introduce yourself as the addict, you know, so I'm an alcoholic. Um, and there is also trained in people that it's lifelong. So, so now I'm ascribing that to my identity. You know, I'm, I am a lifelong alcoholic and I do not have the control to, and, and the power to heal or get better. So that, th those are already a few problems from the start with it, where I mean, we, we have science and evidence and approaches to justify that, um, you know, people, people can get better and with good treatment, it, it is gone in, in, in the sense of the word gone, you know, it, it doesn't come back right? and, and it can go. Okay. Um, one quick way to just understand that is if you still have your underlying pain, is it lifelong? Well, sure. You know, if the, if the driver is still there, then you haven't done anything about the root cause. Fine. You can call it lifelong, but yeah, I mean, I can tell you that when people take care of that underlying driver and they get into a new rhythm and habit, 
and they can regulate or find other ways to regulate, even if it is outside of themselves, then it does go away forever. And, and they're actually at a lower risk of addiction than the general population because they've done good work on themselves. So, so I don't like the idea that it's a lifelong disease. I don't like identifying as an addict when introducing oneself. Um, so so there, there's some philosophical problems that a lot of people they either you know, can't quite put words to that or, or they do instinctually know that that doesn't feel right to them. Um, all right, well, I have two thoughts. One, I think when you're saying like, I'm an addict, like you're almost like telling yourself that you're weak and like you have to give yourself because you're weak. But I also think that if you're actually showing up to do something like that, like you are not weak, you're actually strong to have the, um, the wherewithal to do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I do understand, I mean, you know, it, 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 we can't ever prove we're doing something ourselves and not under God's guidance or power. I mean, you know, and anyone can claim that we're talking right now, you know, due to God's influence or, right. or power. So, you know, it's not as though we can refute that. And I don't really care to, <laughs> I don't think this is part of the issue. Like, I don't think we need to bring a religious philosophy or we don't need to rest the idea of how someone gets better on a religious philosophy right. it's just it's not necessary so it creates confusion and barriers where they're not needed but right? there, there's already enough confusion and barriers in how to get better from an addiction i i am not for introducing more now right more more barriers and confusion not a good idea so I guess, I guess, let me just, it's this question of like your model of approaching addiction. Is that that kind of current that we talked about or do, is that like, did we talk about that? Yeah. So the, the okay. model is, okay. yeah. is the model, right. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. so then how to treat addiction or what to do. There's a lot of places now, a lot of things we can do in that model. So there's a, of course, if there's this current, what we want to do is ultimately turn the spigot off, right? right. We want to we want to reduce or resolve that emotional distress. Um, I actually don't start there because that's the most difficult part. Right. That's the very thing people are scared or just clueless how to how to resolve and fix. So that's the whole reason the addiction's there. So I don't start there because uh, it is very hard, and and uh, so I usually do start in an easier space which is the addiction phase the addiction phase is actually where there is the most sort of simple rudimentary uh, intervention to be done which is so so i i i get the sort of obvious things out of the way almost to say that we're just warming up right right the idea of like a relapse prevention plan uh looking at like your friends and the triggers for your use and stuff like that. Um, that's just warming up. That's like, Hey, let's just get that out of the way. Make sure you, you are aware of this stuff. Um, and then what I work towards still in the addiction phase is what are you, what are you going to do all kinds of things? What, when you do use or drink or, you know, what, what are you going to do? Who, who are you going to talk to? How are you going to handle that? Uh, right before you do, what are you what are you doing what are you thinking about so people are starting to grow some awareness right mm -hmm. that there's a swell there's a lot that happens right before and as you use um so i address that phase 
first. Um, there's a lot of uh, grounding techniques and, and different things involved in looking at that space between the craving and carrying it out. So those can be mindfulness techniques. It can be a lot of good distraction techniques. Um, so I, I, I like to use a lot of different kind of sensory work. Some people are, are distracted and grounded in a very nice way um, with, with different kinds of senses, whether that's smell, mm -hmm. audio sorts of things. So people often naturally turn to, to music or things to, to calm or inspire them. Um, videos, guided imagery, yeah. What would you consider grounding? I would consider that just just that that space um, just after craving. So it's so it's sort of between craving and then carrying the thing out. So, but you can use grounding even even during right to prevent the runaway. So how would you define grounding? Oh, like just itself. Um, yeah. I would just say grounding is anything where um, so we're dysregulated, mm -hmm. whatever that frenzy is. So it's mm -hmm. a, it could be different kinds of negative states. So, so I'm, I'm either scared, I'm sad, I'm angry, right? bad feelings. So grounding is being able to, it doesn't mean that you're grounding means like feeling better. It's not positive. And that's part of what we're trying to train. It's like, no, the idea here isn't just to go to pleasure. Don't just escape into pleasure. Grounding is, hmm, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it through. So I am, I'm still scared, I'm, I'm sad, but the dysregulation sort of settles. It's like, ah, so grounded, you know, literally is, you know, like you're, you're, you're on the ground, you're, you're, you're settled, you got your feet under you, right? There's a lot of good symbolism and figurative understanding of grounding, like, huh, I'm on solid ground. I'm not going to blow away. I'm not going to wither away. I'm not going to drown, right? So um keeping your head above water right like it's those sorts of things in this state grounding is just that, that you're just on ground it doesn't mean you feel great or okay or the things passed and it's done it's just i'm just on i'm on solid ground i'm, I'm gonna make it i'm gonna be okay so it sounds and that's where you're saying like the sensory things and that's kind of bringing you back into the present moment rather than going off into the emotional dysregulated state right and what a lot of people try and do to get there is just purely cognitive and it doesn't work. Like mm. just try and tell themselves, Hey, you're okay. Yeah. You're, you're fine. You'll make it. And it's, that doesn't work. You just need to go straight to the central nervous system in these cases. Cause once that dysregulation happens, it's just that cognition and the logic is out the window. I mean, the, the last patient I saw um, just this afternoon before this, you know, she was describing just that it was, you know, what, what do I do? Cause I, when I'm coming in, you know, we're calling it, you know, coming in hot, there's not, she knows just how to be calm and patient and speak nicely when she's fine, but that is out the window, you know, once she's dysregulated. Yeah. And so that's where I start. Cause that's the tools people need. I'm a dysregulated. I don't, I, I'm, once I'm at that point, you know, you're gone. You're not thinking about, oh, I probably should should go and talk to this friend now. That's that's not where they are. They're not they're they're literally unable to to make that kind of cognitive mature choice in that moment. So um, and this happens even to really bright people. I mean, you know, no, no one is immune 
to just being dysregulated enough that, that you lose that capacity. So, right. yeah, yeah. So, so grounding when, when you're applying the word grounding, you're you, not applying the word, but you using grounding techniques is to make space around the action with the addiction. Yeah, we're, it, it's a way of going straight to that central nervous system to, to show, not just say, I'll be okay, but to show like, Hey, you're breathing. So you can't deny that. It's not just saying, Hey, you'll make it. It's actually you're noticing, hey, I'm breathing, so I'm I am still alive. I'm I'm here. I'm tolerating this experience, or like the other sensory things, you know, visuals. So these are intentional distractions, not distraction that's mindless, okay. But these are deliberate distractions, and they are deliberate and temporary in the service of getting later towards the root cause, not in the service of false pleasure and and mindlessly numbing over and over if it's a deliberate attempt that's temporary to be in the service of healing the underlying issues um, distraction is quite good and healthy it depends on the application this is very this sounds hard like is it is it hard for people to like have the it almost sounds like a, to have the strength to then have the awareness to be able to put that pause in between a the distraction between the trigger and the abuse yeah well so so very good i mean it, it leads to then something else you can do so you want to build an arsenal right it, it is hard and the, and it's very rare. I mean, I, I've seen it happen, but it's very rare that you employ one technique or tool and that just cuts the whole circuit off. Right. So correct. You know, so this is throwing something. So if you got that current, right, if you were going to dam up a river, one sandbag ain't going to do nothing. Right. But if you if now you keep throwing sandbag, 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 eventually, you're like, holy shit, this, this, we're damming up the water. This yeah. is, oh my yeah. God, it's working. So, um, so there's different techniques to use. Also, though, it is a skill to be learned and honed. So whatever grounding technique, I like to expose people to a lot of kinds. You choose which sensory distraction you want. There are also other kinds of grounding techniques and tools. So that that's an arsenal. You might have one or three of those and practicing them enough that one, maybe one of those is actually a good go-to. Right. And the other ones you can do if you're an eight out of 10, not a 10 out of 10 right. pot. And okay, so that's that. But then, yeah, but then different techniques, right? Because there's just one. I mean, when I work with someone, there, there's literally like over a hundred, if not a couple hundred concepts and strategies to use. Right. So it is so robust that like, right. if, if you are without one of your techniques for whatever reason, you're good. You know, so that's what you, you want, that, and that's what, technically speaking, resiliency means, you know, not just like I've got one good friend if I'm pounded by my, you know, the day. I've got, I've got my friend, I've got, you know, a partner, I draw on my religion, I yeah. get to run, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, that's the same. It's almost the same thing when you're looking at living a healthy, holistic lifestyle. It's like you have all these tools in the toolbox to regulate yourself of like, I maybe I'm stretching today. Maybe I'm going for a run. Maybe I'm lifting weights. Maybe I'm just breathing. Maybe I'm meditating. So you have all these tools that you can pull out to regulate yourself and like doing one all the time might not necessarily be healthy. Yeah. Um, do you, I'm curious, um, I have two more questions here. The, the, when somebody is being treated for addiction, how, how quickly does finding out why they want to get treatment come into play? Like, like in like the, you know, we talked a little bit about purpose last time, but like, you know, is, is asking why this is important to you come quicker than it doesn't? Yeah. That should be pretty upfront. Yeah. Okay. And it should not be the reason should not be because, you know, other people said I should, or, you know, because some form of like the outer world society tells me I should, you know, it should be an intrinsic reason. And so, um, so there's another technique, right, which is called motivational interviewing, mm. which I've built into the program too. And it works very well, even, you know, without someone interviewing and doing that with you live, there are a lot of strategies and techniques to draw out in someone why I actually want to get better. So that's up front yeah. and, and should be in any treatment Yeah. You know, because you got to know what you're fighting for. If I'm going to go through, yes, all this difficult stuff. And I'm gonna have to keep honing those skills and doing it the hard way, so to speak. Well, then I need to know like, what what's what's it for. And, and and I'll give you another example. So yesterday, I had a different patient, and you know he has a real conflict going on with his wife, and the wife, you know, just just hates what he's in the middle of and stuff. And so um, he, he's had many many years of of in and out with addiction. So she, of course, wants him to get better and be all cleaned up and presentable so uh he feels that pressure and that but but that is not a good onus for treatment so what we're doing for him right now is helping him to to do this for himself not for the marriage and that might sound bad but no it's very very good if he does it for himself by the way it's then also for the marriage but he's got to stand on his own feet and do it for him whether it's for her whether he's with her tomorrow or in 10 years doesn't matter right so and that's part of another concept right people pleasing and things like that so there's layers of complexity here but he has to have his own motivations for himself right and some people feel like that's selfish or not because they're used to trying to please or worried about judgment and trying to contort to keep other people happy or impressed but um that's part of what people need to work through and those can be some of the resistances, right? Like to, to actually accessing their own motivations to get healthy. So then my, some of the resistance might, yeah, that makes sense. Cause then it's, it's having the fear of actually getting to look at yourself and getting to know yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a lot of things, right? If you've been a people pleaser, you don't know what, you really want because you've yeah. been so preoccupied yeah. and you've trained yourself to yeah. just be paying attention to what other people want and so then you, you try and take that away and you're then you're asking a very difficult thing of them like what but what do you want and they're like whoa that's not an easy question I, I i don't really even know 
who I am, what I stand for, what I really, I, I, I don't know any of that. And, and, and so there's work to be done there too. Um, so you, you see why I'm saying like, there's, there's well over a hundred for a lot of people, a couple hundred things to do here. Right. It's, it, and, and so when you can work through that and the distract, you know, distraction or distress tolerance and work through the false pleasure part, like you're, you're building this robustness. So, um, but yeah, intrinsic motivation. Yes. Off the top. That's just, you, you got to know what you're fighting for. What am I doing all this hard work for? And another quick thing I'll say is you're right. It's very hard work, but it's also very hard <laughs> to be addicted. Like it's a, yeah. that's a hard, terrible, difficult life. And right. so, um, it's, it's a, there's trade-offs for sure, but it, it's not as if, you know, just ignoring life's problems or your underlying distress. It's not as if escaping that with a substance is easy. It's, it's really hard. It's, and it, and it's, damaging and it's shameful and it's it's an awful experience and so um you know idea is to recognize that even though it's difficult to work through your feelings and underlying issues um it, it often people at some point realize wait this is actually a lot easier than the alternative i really just love that this is like a huge part of the puzzle and bowl is the concept of self-knowledge what kind of advice would you give somebody who is maybe like stressing about the holidays coming up or somebody who knows that they might have to face a tough situation coming up with the holidays related to a family member or a friend that struggles with addiction uh probably the, the best word to hang on to here would just be um deliberate be deliberate mm -hmm. or intentional um on, yeah, on either side. Yeah. So I'll explain what I mean. You know, if, if you want to gather with family, just know what you're trying to do with that. You know, be deliberate. If you just want to share a meal and see everybody and make an appearance and genuinely, you know, have, have a meaningful time together, um, but not get into the other things, you know, then just just be deliberate and, and, and that's a decent trade-off, right? Not to spend a whole weekend or whatever, you know, just be deliberate, enjoy the time and get out. Yep. If you want to be held accountable and you know, I'm just, you know, make up a scenario here, you know, mama knows, right? Mama knows best. And, and you want to finally kind of come out that, yeah, I've been like really struggling. This is why I haven't picked up the phone and this and that. And like, you're, you know, you're right. I have been doing that. Be deliberate, you know, say, Hey mom, like, um, and, and, you know, pick a time for you, be proactive. Don't, don't wait for an intervention one day, you know, say, can we talk, you know, Friday or, or the a week after say, Hey, I'm going to come in. Let's just have dinner. Uh, mom, I, you know what? I, I haven't been that well when I'm there for dinner or, or the whole weekend. Like I, I am asking you right now, like, let's not talk about how I've been doing in life. Let's just like share memories and, just have a good time or watch football. And then, uh, you know, but, but that next, whatever, you know, after I'm back, like I, I want to have a, a long phone call with you yeah. and, and I'll, I have some things I want to talk about, but, but can you promise me when I'm there, you're not going to keep asking, you know, how I am and what I've been up to. So 
deliberate, right? You, you come, you be proactive, be deliberate. What, what are you trying to get out of that? And if you want to have a nice exchange or nice dinner, but just make sure you're designing it. So you get that experience. And it may be that you, you don't want to talk to, you know, the, the family at all and, and keep it at that and rather just get professional help or for, you know, to, you know, there's all kinds of reasons you might not want to involve family. So same thing, you know, just be, be deliberate. Um, there doesn't have to be a trade like, Hey, I'll, you know, don't, don't ask me how I'm doing, but then I'll, I will want to talk with you, yeah. you know, a week later. It doesn't have to be a week later. It could be, Hey, when I come home, I know you're concerned about how I'm doing. I, I really like to be able to enjoy the time together and just know that I am working on myself and that if we start talking about it, it's not going to help me. Just let them know. I've, I've already thought through that mom and I, I need you to trust me that that's not going to be productive for us. So let's just enjoy our time together. If, and you can set boundaries, you know, if you, you know, do this and that, and, you know, keep pressing me on things like I, I it will at some point be too much and I, and I may have to leave. So let's make this just a nice, uh, and for the other side, for family, uh, same thing, you know, from different directions, you can say, Hey, uh, you know, it looks to me like you've, you've been having a hard time. Um, I'm going to, you know, try not to pressure you or ask too much, but is there a time that would be okay if we can talk about that? Um, so asking for permission, right? It's a heads up, very different than walking into a room of a semicircle. Right, being it, bombarded. Just, yeah. yeah. So just, you know, asking permission. Is there a time we can do that? Is there maybe a time before, right? Or, hey, after, maybe let's do this, but afterwards, can we? Because I'm, I'm, I'm your parent. I want to, or, or your partner, or your sibling. Like, is there, is there a time we can? Because I'm, I'm worried about what I see. Um, so that's the idea. I mean, there's of course countless scenarios, but the idea to me is just be be real and be deliberate. Like if you're not doing well, um, you know it. Your family knows it, and and in a, you would only hope that people who know you well or you know have been around you while you were being raised, you you would only hope they can notice, and that's a good thing. But it's up to you to decide. Is you know, is that someone you want to include? in that path. And same thing with being deliberate. Like if you do talk about how you're doing, even within that, you can be deliberate. Example, maybe you are looking to apologize or ask for forgiveness or explain, hey, I think these things that you used to do have affected me or, you know, ex explain, you know, so maybe you are looking to, to resolve some things with that family member and there's conflicts you know, that, that you're, you have resentments, there's things you want to get off your chest. So um, that can be what you talk about if you're deliberate about that and you want to, but it, it might not, right? You might be deliberate and just be clear that, hey, I'm, I'm going to share with you what I've been going through. I am not looking for advice. You don't need to apologize. You don't need to coddle me. You don't need to try and fix anything. Don't you don't need to involve anybody else. I'm just letting you know. Yeah, I've been really drinking like way too much. It's caused some problems. Um, yeah, like I'm going through some problems in my marriage right now. And I just want you to know I'm I'm working on it. You know, I am doing different things to, to improve myself. I just want you to know because you deserve to know, but I really 
I'm not looking for you to fix things. So I'm, I'm just updating you because you're my whatever. Yeah. Um, and same thing as from the other side. You can be deliberate. You can say, can, you know, can we sit down and talk? But if you try, you know want to try and soften it and not scare them away, you could say, you know, I, if it's okay, I'd like to just share what I'm seeing. I just want to provide feedback, but I'm not going to tell you how to live or what to do or shame you for it. And so, yeah. and you can always, that's why earlier I said, you know, just do little bits. You're, you're planting seeds, you're setting things up. So what can start as, hey, I just wanted to share, like, I'm, I'm concerned. I see this, this, and this enough. That's, but that's all I want to say. It's just, just, I, I love you. And that's just, I'm, I'm scared for you. That's not to say though, a day later, a week later, a month later, that person doesn't now warm up a little bit, right? Because what you're doing is training the person. This is now from the perspective of a family or a loved one. You're training that person that I'm, I'm actually going to provide a, a positive experience if you open up a little bit. Yeah. If you open up a little, I'm not going to use that as a time to put salt in your wound. I'm not going to make you feel stupid. I'm not going to blame things on you. I'm not going to make it sound as though you can just stop when you want to. Oh, how nice, right? You're training them. Hey, you're, you're actually just going to listen and just, okay, okay. I'll talk to you again. I mean, again, it comes down to that self-awareness from the person who's delivering that. And I'm thinking from a family member, like the self-awareness for them to like be able to hold that space for them and not take it personally and be okay enough with yourself that if it does end up blowing up, that it's not necessarily your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's the responsibility of both sides to, to just say, hey, you know, this is just getting too hot right now. Like that yeah. just... Yeah. And then, or right before, you know, yeah. if, if you thought that talking about it Friday evening, you know, you carved out time out. And if it turns out just things are a little too chaotic or there's just too much tension or whatever, or that person just pissed you off, you know, just, it's, it's fine to say, hey, I know we were scheduled, like we, we were going to talk about things. Right now, I'm, I'm kind of distracted and that like it doesn't feel like the right time. Um, let, let's talk next week instead. Yeah. yeah. And, and both people ought to tend to that because it, it does, you know, if, if it's not going to be met on each side with, with some like just genuine interest, then uh, forget it. You know, just, just, just wait, just do it another time. Yeah. Have someone else do it, do it by text, do it by, you know, just some other form. If you know you're coming in hot, just don't, it's better not. Yeah. And then, and then that's where, Hey, I'm not feeling, I don't want to get triggered. I don't want you to be triggered. Let's just have that good time together and then talk about it later. Yeah. 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 And just, just that sentence there just helps, helps them know, okay, like this isn't a lost opportunity. It's just two mature people knowing that yeah. this isn't going to be productive right now. So see if you, if you, if you lead that person to think, Hey, we missed this chance and you may never get it again, then you're going to see that person scramble, right? That family member is going to be pleading and scrambling and desperate to still have that talk. But if you've said just a sentence to let them know, like, no, 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 I'm, it's bookmarked. I, I got you. This is a rain check. Like we're, this is serious for me. I, and, and, and that is why we're tabling it. We're not tabling it because I'm trying to forget about it we're tabling it because it's very much front and center for me. And I want to make sure when we do talk that it goes well. Yeah. 
Um, what resources would you steer people towards? Uh, for for the person with addiction or the friends and family? I would say both. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, well, that's one problem. You know, if, okay. if you have an addiction, I, um, you know, 12 step usually won't do any harms. There are, I, I could certainly list you some possibilities for harm, but, you know, in general, if you're just needing somewhere to go, that, that's still a, a decent option. Um, there, uh, uh, there's then uh, different sort of uh, comparable groups. So there's smart recovery. Um, that's a very popular cognitive based thing. So it's gonna be limited, but smart recovery is, is just like a free and open group for anyone to go to. So it's a, it's a little more science-based, but it's certainly still not the, the full deal. Um, I do usually recommend for people to, to just get their own individual therapy. Um, there are different levels of intensity. So you can go to an IOP, which is intensive outpatient treatment. So uh, there's partial hospitalization programs and then there's full, so like a rehab or inpatient stay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, aside from just listing those options, and, and that's also why I've created self-recovery. So if, if yeah. anyone wants to check out selfrecovery.org, it's going to provide you the, the full range of things you do under this model. And it's not just stopping the current and getting out of that current. It is also learning, well, then what do I do? You know, so people, they can stop it and then they feel like, well, then what am I doing with myself if I'm not trying to reach a state of pleasure, people are genuinely lost in that. And so um, I have a module in the program that also teaches people like what is actually a healthy life. And it's not as obvious as it might seem. You know, of course we all know, yeah, like exercise and eat well and, and enjoy good friendships and connections, but um, you know, that, okay, done, easy. But, but yeah, it's, it's a, there's a lot to learn about, you know, how to design your life. To, to be truly like at ease and, and at peace. So, um, so yeah, you know, if, if anyone does want to check out the program, it was something I took a couple of years to develop and really pulled together um, all of the highest yield concepts and strategies. And, and there's lessons followed all by exercises and ways to integrate what you're learning. And the results are really, really good. We got a, a nearly 80% success rate. Um, and there's just, from people doing it at home at their own leisure in their own privacy. And it does work for the full range because it's, it's, it's a process, right? So it's not, it's not just for addiction of hard drugs or, or alcohol. People do use it for, for sugar, for porn, for other things. Um, so, so yeah, that's why I made it, you know, it's because there aren't a lot of resources. You know, if you try and Google, like, you know, how to just kind of work through things on your own or get self-help, you're, you're going to get really rudimentary things, or you're just going to get, websites that point you to just generic yeah. things, right? That just, it just points you to other resources. <laughs> so I often hear from people like, thank you. Like it wasn't just a site that just listed that I should get treatments and, and then links to the other sites that say I should get treatment. So, um, so yeah, selfrecovery.org is, is the thing. Um, and, and we even offer a money back guarantee for the first month. You have a whole month to see if, if it's what you want because I don't want any barriers. Like it's, yeah. it's less than 1% the cost of rehab. We have many times the, the success rate and still you don't even have to worry about, you know, if it's right or wrong for you. Just, just go in there try it. And, you know, you will see it's, it's going to 
definitely transform your life. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, that's why I made it. So I, I, I'm proud to say that that should be a resource for people. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're needing or just wanting individual therapy is, is usually going to be the fullest treatment. I'm a psychiatrist and I know, you know, a lot of them just prescribe. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple prescriptions that do help with addiction. So there's things like naltrexone, antabuse, there's suboxone, which is buprenorphine uh, for people addicted to heroin or narcotics. Um, so there, there are a, a host of some medications that can be very helpful for addiction, but that's not the full picture. Right? You, you still have to heal the underlying issues. And so a good therapist can do that. Um, you don't necessarily need a like an addiction coach or addiction therapist. Some people think that, but it, it's quite fine and sufficient just to find a good therapist because ultimately you're trying to get to the underlying issues anyway. Right. And a lot of good therapists, whether it's addiction or just that you get anxious, still can help you work on those grounding techniques and, and just all those intermediate steps too. So um, I'd always just plug good good therapy. Um, as far as for friends and family, uh, yeah, the craft method is, is something people can look up uh, for how to intervene or support people with an addiction. Um, that has very good evidence for it and, and works you know, a lot better than those traditional interventions. For friends and family, I would also say the, the same thing that you just heard, like help encourage people just to get into good outpatient treatment I wouldn't think of rehab as the holy grail, you know, that, right. that that's necessarily going to bring sort of like the maximum best immediate result. Um, it's that, that unfortunately just isn't the case. Um, a, a rehab is equivalent to about 12 outpatient visits. So even if you're concerned, you know, about like getting somewhere quickly, um, it's still, you know, r- rather see a therapist every day, you know, for a couple of weeks, than try and get someone to leave their job or out themselves. And now there's stigma because I went to rehab and all that stuff. So um, there are indeed, you know, cases where you do want to go to rehab and, and start with detox and stuff when, when it is just really dangerous and they, and they really have tried different things. It's just not working. Um, so rehab has a place, but just don't think of rehab as like the end. That, right. that would only be the beginning if they do go to rehab. Right. Right. Because then you would hear people who go to rehab multiple times. So it's not the, it's not going to fix it. It's got to be an on continuous. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. And, and, and if a friend or family do want to learn strategies for how to approach, not just with the craft method, but also just understanding how addiction works and understand a lot more than we're talking about right now. Um, there, there's a lot of good case examples I give and things and, and how to discuss and bring it up. Um, and a lot of resources to, um, at selfrecovery.org, at the, at, if you go to the bottom menu, um, there's a link that says courses, and there's a course for friends and family, oh, and, cool. and, and that's designed specifically for that situation. Um, I think the work that you're doing is awesome, and I feel like grateful that you've kind of created this way of approaching it, and I appreciate your perspective a ton. I appreciate that, and, and just for having me and giving me attention to this topic. Thank you. Cool. Well, we will see you next time. And you guys know where to head. We'll put the link in the show notes to find out more about selfrecovery.org. And thanks for your time, Daniel. Thanks a lot for having me, Megan. 
Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please check out the show notes to see selfdiscovery.org and check out Daniel's program. And if you like this episode, please share, like, subscribe, and we will see you next time when the Master Your Energy podcast. Bye, guys.